Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So as you know, my podcast is mostly short form. I bring things to street level, half documentation, and by documentation, me sitting on a toilet talking into my phone. And then the other half, uh, some science, some psychobabble, things I learned in therapy school, tips, tools, mindset, etc. But now I'm introducing what I call the Angry Therapist Presents series. And these series are uh, from other experts, people that I admire and learn have learned from, um, doing what they do best, which is going to be more long form. So if I'm in a shark glass, series is in a wine glass. And today, I want to present to you friend and trauma expert, Dr. MC McDonald. She's dedicated her life to trauma. And she has a new book called Unbroken. You should go pick it up. This is the trauma tapes. And these are real stories as she dissects the trauma through her lens She's a university teacher, she's a coach, she's an author, she's got so much to offer. You're going to get so much out of the next eight episodes, and we're going to release these once a week. Enjoy the trauma tapes. So our letter is from, I keep going back. Dear trauma tapes, I keep going back. That's my whole problem in a nutshell. It doesn't make any sense at all, but I can't stop myself somehow. My relationship with my ex, sort of ex, started out so perfectly. I had basically sworn off all men after a really shocking breakup came out of absolutely nowhere, and I was busy living my own life and healing. I had no interest in dating, and I wasn't even lonely. I was happy. Then this guy comes along and just sweeps me right off my feet. I would like to say that we started off slowly, but we did not. From our second date, we were basically living together and I have never felt so aligned and in sync with another human. And then slowly, he started to change and get really dark. I work in a male-dominated service industry job, and so I have a lot of contact with friends that are male. My ex, sort of ex, started to get insanely jealous and controlling. He made me send me my location at all times and would come into my job and try and catch me flirting or sneaking off with my coworkers. From there, it just got worse and worse. He would cut me down about everything, the way I dress, how loud my laugh is, my hair, my weight, my intelligence. It was all really subtle, and he kept saying he was just trying to be honest, trying to care for me, trying to help me get to the best version of myself. I started to feel terrible about myself, and our sex life suffered. He would pout like a little boy when I said I didn't want to have sex. Looking back, this is extra insane because he was the one who made me feel terrible about my body. Anyway, in the fall, we had a giant big fight and he pushed me hard against the wall. I could not believe that he put his hands on me like that. And for a few minutes, I was more done with him than I have ever been with a person. He immediately was shocked by himself and tried to apologize and beg me to stay. He fell on the floor crying and said he had no idea why he would do something like that. The only reason he got so intense is because he loves me so much. We have been broken up and haven't lived together since, but I just cannot stop myself from staying in touch with him. I know it's not healthy for either one of us, but I keep going back. 
I think we can be friends. And then we go out for lunch and are walking hand in hand before you know it. Then I run away and distance myself a bit. And eventually he rages at me. The last time we connected and then I distanced myself, he was posted up outside of my apartment yelling up at my window. I almost called the police. On one level, I know this person is not for me. So why can't I stop going back? How can I just get to a place where I stop missing him and just move on with my life? Signed, I keep going back. Okay, I have a bunch of notes. What are your initial thoughts? You know, I just don't know why, as women, we seem to tolerate unacceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, it's just, it breaks my heart. It's sad. Um, Anyone who does even a little bit of the things that is being described in this letter is not someone worth spending time with. Yeah, much less being vulnerable or intimate or any of those things. And it's just, it, it makes me, I don't know why we do this and we all do it. We've all done it. We've all been there um, in situations that don't feel right and aren't right for a lot of reasons. And we either cannot get out of them or we continue going back to them. I think it's, it, it's just a, a story that's as old as time. And I, I, I don't understand it. Yeah. And it makes me sad. Yeah. It's um, okay. So just to answer the question really quickly, <laughs> you keep going back because he stole your sense of self. And until you reestablish that he owns it. Mm-hmm. So, so the work to be done, which we can talk about in a bit is, is in reestablishing your sense of self, because that's why you feel unstable. And when we feel unstable, we are not super rational. And so we make these decisions that go against what we rationally want. So just to kind of make sense of your, your behavior, which to you doesn't make sense. Like, it sounds like it's in, like, she's like, what, why am I doing this? It's because you're out of alignment with your rational executive mind, which is saying, I want a different kind of life. I want a different kind of relationship. I want to be away from this person. But in order to have follow through, you have to have connection through the whole midline of your brain. And when you're in a relationship where someone is gaslighting you, you lose that connectivity. And so you can't make that decision. Mm-hmm. So that's the work, which we can talk about how to do that. We, I think we've talked about that before, but we can talk about that more. Um, but I also just want to say, I started watching, which Lisa had told me to watch for a long time, the Woody Allen <laughs> documentary. Uh, what you, I know. That's when I, I, I told you that because of that documentary, I would like to put in the vernacular, put on t-shirts, put on mugs. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Yeah. Like that, that's what I want out in the world Yeah, because yeah. I, it's just astounding. Yeah. Yeah. How far he got. Yeah. Well, and the, in the legal that- system. And yeah. I mean, it's astounding. Yeah. 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 I mean, I haven't, so I've only watched two, I think two episodes. They're beautifully done. Yeah. I don't know anything about this case. I, I remember like it being, I remember him and Sunni being in people yep. in, when I was like 12 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm not coming into this with any kind of bias at all. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? Any right specific bias. And um, I think what's really interesting and I would love to do like an infographic on this is how many moments there were when rational adults turned off their alarm systems mm-hmm. and, and had a conversation within themselves and said, that can't be happening. This can't be happening. And so, okay, just to give you a tiny bit of background, if you have no idea about what the case is, 
Woody Allen was married to, were they ever married? They were never married. Mia Farrow, long-term relationship. Yep. And Mia Farrow had adopted many children and then had had a biological child with him. Um, And one of the children they adopted, Dylan, became an obsession of Woody. And there was uh, sexual assault when she was a child. She reported that he took her down in court and in the media by saying that she was making it up and priming Dylan to say these things as a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tons of witnesses. There were other people who saw shady things happening. And then he kind of in the midst of this had a, an affair with the oldest adopted child of Mia Farrow, Sunni, who he's still married to. They got married in 1997 and they're still together. She was 19 at the time, actually 17, but they she was 19. younger when it started. Yeah. She was underage when it started. Yep. And, um, So there's two things that are really interesting. And the reason that I bring this up, so it's really well done and it's interesting to watch. So go watch it. Uh, Grooming, right? The way that someone has to be groomed in order to be taken advantage of is a fascinating and terrible phenomenon. And it sounds like, and I think this is true in any situation where you have someone who's trying to control you and gaslight you, they groom you by convincing you. And this can be unconscious, by the way, it's not necessarily like intentional and malicious. Um, and like premeditated, but they groom you and in, into thinking that you are, that this is a special love, that you are the best thing that ever happened to them, that nobody will ever love you this way, whatever it is that they need you to believe. Um, and then this intermittent affection and love is exchanged with criticism. So they're building you up as an object of their affection and tearing you down as your own subject, as your own self, if that makes sense. And so by the time the violence or sexual assault happens, you are two things detached from yourself and unhealthily attached to them. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, sounds like this is what has gone on in this relationship, right? This person tore you down verbally. It got physical, but before it even got physical, he was making you believe that you're not smart, that you're, that there's something wrong with your body. Right. And the suggestion under there is that nobody else will love you or you won't find another partner or whatever. Um, And so you get into this threat fear state, and then you believe this is the only person who would ever love you. And in order to like come back from that, you have to go through several steps in order to fully detach. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. What are you thinking? I, you know, I was just thinking of the Woody Allen thing and how, how not only did he groom the victim in this case, he groomed society because he was making movies about this very subject and he put it out in the world that this was okay to do. Yep. God, there's a term for this. Specifically the the relationship with Sunyi that, you know, mm-hmm. I can't remember the movie. I'm trying to look it up. It was with um, Margot Hem- Hemingway, Manhattan, mm-hmm. where she was uh, underage, right? So yeah. 17. Yeah. yeah. And he was in his forties. Right. And they had a relationship and he put that out in the world and groomed us. Right. You know, there were so many people that did not want to believe. Right that he was capable of this. Right. Just like there were so many people that did not want to believe that Michael Jackson was capable of what right. the things that are alleged, you know, in, in his world, mm-hmm. 
Same with Bill Cosby. I still don't want to believe the Bill Cosby mm-hmm. thing. The 50 something women have come through and it's still hard for me to believe it. I know. Well, and it's not that you don't believe the women. Cause I know this, cause we've talked about this. It's that Bill Cosby was like a mainstay in our childhood. And so you don't want to believe that that person who did so much good is capable of that. Right. But, but yeah, anyway, sorry. I, I'm, I'm stuck on the Woody Allen thing. No, it's, um, but I think there, I can't remember the term. It's like social. There's a term for this in psychology where the more people around you believe that a thing is true, the harder it is for you to go against that. And so that's true in any phenomenon, right? So like if we, if a, if a majority of people believe that the vaccine gives you a microchip that allows Steve Jobs to follow your whereabouts or whatever the fuck people think, mm-hmm. that it becomes harder to be the minority who stands against that because you're now working against this like social web right. of right. people who believe this. And so when you're very public, like Woody Allen, and you're this like kind of, oh my God, he's such an interesting, like neurotic weak, mm-hmm. like silly kind of non-predatory, right. Like harmless. Right. Figure. We think, a, well, right. That's his, like, that's the social belief. Cause he's, he's, he's projecting this persona. This nebbishy this little, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And that you're working against the whole social web of people that believe that. Right. And he was creating all these movies that where that was. And I remember actually the first time I saw Manhattan was in grad school and I was in New York. So people are like, you have to watch this Woody Allen, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't believe, I'm not buying this 42 year old, not being possessive of the 17 year old, because the whole thing was that like, one of the whole main plot points was that she was committed to him and that he was like, no, you have to, I've told you, you got to go, you know, date right. someone your own age. And she was like, no, but I love you and all the stuff. And that's like kind of the main issue at the center of their relationship. That's not how that would go down. Right. 42 year old. And you have a 17 year old. You're going to try to keep anyway. <laughs> but it was, the, it was the like the point we're going too much on this. I'm going too much on this, that you are suing for custody of, a, I believe a seven year old about at that point. Yeah you know, saying that all of these claims that she's made against you are false. You, and and saying that Mia Farrow was a horrible person who was enlisting parental alienation syndrome. I know we keep talking about that, but that's where that came up while you are living with another child from that household. Right. Why didn't someone say, are you out of your goddamn mind? Like, what are we doing here? Like he's, this is already, he's living this life. Yep. No, but it's, it's infuriating. And I think one of the reasons it's infuriating is because we know that the people in the situations, just like the letter writer end up internalizing all of this as shame. And we're all susceptible to it. We're all, you know, we're a part of it. Right. Right. Like we, we are, when we say we don't want to believe the Bill Cosby thing, we're contributing to the problem. Right. It's the, it's, we're a part of it. And it's, um, she signs it, you know, or why do I keep going back? Or I keep going back. This is why, because you're, you've been reduced to like a shell of yourself because we don't advocate for people. We don't believe them. We don't listen. And so you're taught to continue to internalize everything and continue to internalize everything and continue to be polite and quiet and unseen and all these things and not push back against this person who's telling you 
that the way you dress is not okay. Your, your laugh is too loud. Your hair is a problem. Your weight is a problem. You're not smart enough, right? Anyone who says any of those things to you, we should live in a society where that is not happening. Right. And that when it does, we recognize that and we don't internalize it. And we say, you're telling me a lot about you. You're not telling me anything about me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so explain again, um, when I say that this keeps happening and this is, you know, we've all been in this situation or some degree of this situation, what happens in your brain Yeah. when someone continues to do this to you? What, so, cause that takes the shame out of it. If we can understand what happens. Yeah. In the, and how it's neurological. Yes. Yeah. So you again. what? please say it again, please. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> Play it again, Sam. <laughs> this is, I, you know what I want to do for in real life is I want a Pixar movie about memory. I'm putting that out there. Let's manifest this. <laughs> I know. I feel like it's a, just because you said it, it's going to happen. Because I see like the little, like we, we just need to understand more about memory. Okay. So you're with a boyfriend and, or, or you're yeah. in a relationship and someone is saying those things that are like, yeah. um, you know picking at you a little bit. Yeah. So here, okay. You need, in order to make decisions Mm -hmm. about yourself and your life, you need two parts of the brain to be connected and and online. One is the prefrontal cortex, which is executive function. And the second is the midline of the brain. And part of the prefrontal cortex is part of the midline, but the midline, they call this the Mohawk of self-awareness because it runs through the center of your, like imagine a Mohawk. That's like where it is in your brain. That's in charge of things like interoception and proprioception, which is like your sense of self in time and space and your sense of self as a person. So when you're decision-making about your own life, you need the connectivity between those two parts of your brain. Okay. And when you're in, actually, when you're in any kind of threat situation, those neural connections get weaker because your threat system is online. And so when someone comes in and they start saying things about you, your, your amygdala starts to like react. We're in danger. We're about to be abandoned. We're about to be in the out group. We are not okay. And even though like our nervous system hasn't adapted to the fact that that fact is different than a tiger chasing you, your body Mm -hmm. interprets it the same. And so the more it happens, the more disconnected you get from your, the part of your brain, the two parts of your brain that you need in order to be making a decision and also having the awareness that what this person is saying is not accurate. Okay. So you stop being able to like check with yourself, which is why it's so important to check with other people because like, so if that's happening to me and I call you, right, you both know me historically and you have access to your brain in a way that I don't. So I can sort of like, we can do, this is called the interpersonal neurobiology. I can sort of lean on the part of your brain that I don't have access to because you have access to it in yours. And so we co-regulate. And then I start to see that, hold on, wait, this person is wrong. This isn't rational. This is not in line with what I typically think of myself in the world and how, what my goals are and all these other things. But the more disconnected you are, and especially it's true in, I think it's really important to understand that it's true in emotional abuse Mm -hmm. and you can become just as affected when you're emotionally abused and not physically abused. Mm -hmm. But when you've got emotional and physical abuse, your alarm systems are that much more uh, sensitive. 
And you become that much more disconnected from who you are and how to check in with yourself about who you are and your goals. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes so perfect sense. It's like when we ask ourselves, like, why don't I, why don't I know myself or why can't I combat that in, in this other, in this situation or whatever, that's like asking yourself, why can't, why can't you do like high level math when you're being chased by a lion? Right. Because you, you're not capable right? for good reason. Your brain thinks you're in danger. And so it's trying to kick up all the systems that make it more likely for you to survive physical threat than, and, and that in turn turns down the ones that help you know yourself. That's so important. I know. Because we do, we beat ourselves up and we say, you know, yeah. not only are we getting it from the outside that there's something wrong with us. Now we're saying, because we can't stop this. Yeah. We believe, we also believe there's something wrong with us. So it just, yeah. ma- it just compounds. Yeah. And then the systems, like we were just talking about with the Woody Allen thing, the systems around us, that societal web says, yeah, there is something wrong with you. Right. I don't understand your behavior. Why don't you just leave? He was violent. He was mean. What the hell's wrong with you? Right. But the truth is like, it is really hard to reconcile. I mean, she describes really beautifully in the beginning, like she fell in love with this person. She thought this was ideal. She got knocked over, you know? And I think like, this is the other thing I want to talk about. Yeah, me too. I know what you're going to say. What? what? (laughs) No, go ahead. Can we not, can we stop romanticizing being knocked over by somebody? Because that is a bad sign usually. Yeah. Yeah. When when someone, and I can't remember the term for this either, because this is just one of those days. Apparently I need some sort of vitamin that enables me to recall words or whatever the fuck, but um, (laughs) the when someone is, and again, this happens, this happens with narcissists. I'm not diagnosing this person, but this is a trait in narcissism um, and in narcissistic personality disorder. They almost don't have a personality of their own. And so they mirror yours. Mm -hmm. So the person you actually fall in love with is yourself, which is super interesting. But when you're feeling this like super, she said, like, I'm, I was more in line and in sync than with anybody else. Yeah. And I was knocked, right. It sounds like she went into this relationship, kind of not wanting another relationship, kind of being cool on her own, that kind of thing. And then this person comes in and mirrors her and then she gets knocked over. That's the beginning. And then that makes it possible for that person to like infiltrate right, and get in and mess things up. And again, nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to be a narcissist. I don't think that this is necessarily conscious, but that doesn't mean it's not real and damaging. You know what I mean? Right. Right. What were you going to say though about the same thing? Well, I, because you recommended couples therapy, which is like uh, insane. I'm only on the first season. So don't, but I'm like watching it every night, like with my mouth hanging open. It's just, it's unbelievable. I have but to talk about Mao and. No, I can't talk about him. Okay. <laughs> I can't talk about, I re- I can't. Like I, 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 I think about him way too much as it is. And I like, cannot talk. I like, uh, he's going to make my head explode soon. Um, sorry. <laughs> this is apparently like the TV edition. <laughs> I know. But the therapist said last night, um, in speaking with one of the couples, when you move too fast, yeah, yes. you stop feeling, yeah. you, you know, a lot of times people move really, really fast to shut off that, that feeling part yeah. in their, yeah. of themselves. Yeah. So, but society has romanticized this. Oh, I got swept off my feet. It, yeah. you know, it happened so fast. I didn't know. I couldn't think. Blah 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 blah. Right. Okay. In, in this case, you, she said, I believe, 
she had a shocking breakup that came out of nowhere. She was happy on her own healing. And then this guy came along and it, by the second date they were living together and he swept her off her feet. Yeah. Something shut down at that point. Yeah. You know, but we're conditioned to think that in the fairy tale world, that this is how it goes instead of when people move really fast, you have to be aware of, you know, what's being shut down in order to move that fast. Yeah. And, and, and again, like that's not coming from the decision-making part of your brain. That's coming from the irrational part of your brain. And those things might line up later, but like wait and see, you know? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Don't don't make a decision from that place. It's, it's a marathon. Like it, you, you know, you, you're not who yeah. gets to the finish line fastest. It's totally. um, you need some endurance for these things. I, I also like, I am obsessed right now, partly because I'm writing about this. I had a huge epiphany the other day. I have to tell you, I think this relates, um, but I'm obsessed with this idea of like magnetism. Magnetism is almost never a good thing mm-hmm. because it's driving you from a force that's like outside of yourself into something. And like, we use that term in really interesting ways in society. Cause we say like politicians, like Bill Clinton, magnetic, everyone who met Bill Clinton said he was magnetic, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good yep. thing. And it's a thing that makes him capable of taking advantage of people. And it's a thing he used mostly for good. Right. But like, and it can be used in other ways. The other people we ascribe magnetism to are serial killers. Right. Who like, who's the guy that had all those relationships and he was a serial killer but some of the women are alive and they did like a documentary from them. Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. And everyone was like, he was so magnetic. He was, he was a, yeah. Charming, he, attractive he, guy. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. holy hell. But okay. Here's why magnets are are dangerous. I'm obsessed with, with um, the trauma bond. Cause this is one of the things I'm writing about because we're getting it wrong in society. Cause people are just like co-opting it on, on social media and saying crazy shit, but it's a real thing. And we need to understand what it is. And I think like I had the big epiphany I had the other way is that moral injury cuts the other direction as well. So let me rewind. Moral injury is this idea that like when something terrible happens, it's not, the injury isn't just about the thing that happened, the loss or the shattering experience or whatever, but the fact that it took with it all of your structures about how the world works and what is good and evil and how things are. And so your injury is a moral injury. You have to rewrite your whole blueprint for the way the world works. Mm-hmm. When you have, de- and I don't know anything about this letter writer, but I would I would guess some things and speculate when you have trauma developmentally, when you have had relationships that are bad and you are not, um, you're not used to being loved and cherished and appreciated in this full and rational sense, you are going to be more likely to continue to be in relationships because of this magnetic pull, because they look like the other ones. And if someone comes into your life and is actually good for you, it shatters your moral structures because your moral structures are built upon the trauma from your childhood and not from stability. So the good thing can actually cause a moral injury as well. And that can cause you to cut off a good relationship or not see the potential because you're like, well, one of these things doesn't belong, right? Like Sesame street. One of these things is not like the other Yeah, good thing. All of the rest of this magnetic stuff from childhood is what you keep repeating. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you're trying to figure out why you keep doing this, if this is a pattern, I'm speculating that it is. I mean, she said she had a bad relationship before, which who knows why, but 
try to figure out what these things have in common and where that comes from and why the other kind of thing feels so foreign. Because in order to be able to invite that into your life, you have to get over the hump of that's uncomfortable because it's different. Trying, how would she do that? How would she, she would think about how she felt during? Yeah. So a great way to do it is to like check in with your body and try to see what memories come up. So if you go into your body, into this moment, like pick the most vivid memory, you're sitting on the couch and he starts criticizing you and you're like, what? And there's a super vivid memory with that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Pick that and then try to find that. How did that feel in your body? Did you start to sweat? Did your face get red? Did you have panic? Did you shut down? Like whatever that was in your body. And then try to remember, meditate on that feeling in your body and try to remember something from before. Where did you feel like that in your life before? Uh, Okay. Got it. And then you'll see, okay, here's the trigger that's getting pushed. Yep. And I, God, in my nervous system and in my body, I've been taught to believe that this is how we feel. This is how we feel in the world. This is what it feels like to relate to someone. It means to feel a little panicked and small and appreciated and loved, but in this complicated way, you know what I mean? Right. So she's being attracted to the same kind of experiences. She's being magnetically drawn. Yeah. It's not even like attraction, like desire, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like a mag, it's a, this is why Freud called it the repetition compulsion. We just need to take that back. It's you, it's a compulsion. It's not a choice. And so to, to figure out, so you need awareness in order to like, to, to figure out how to choose to behave otherwise. And if you can't go into your memory and remember things, that's okay. Because you already have a bunch of knowledge, which is how this person made you feel. Right. So, and that goes with the good stuff too the feeling of being swept off your feet, the feeling like you're aligned and in sync in a way you've never been with a human. All of these things become now your new red flags. Interesting. Along with when he made you feel small, when he criticized you, when he controlled you and tried to like make you send him your location and not be friends with males and all this other stuff. Like all of that becomes your red flags for your next relationship. You want the opposite of that. Right. You want some conflict. You want some... Um, some uh, some lack of alignment. You're supposed to be differentiated in an, in an interdependent relationship. You're two different people. You know, if you feel right. like the that's enmeshment, is that making sense? It does, absolutely. I feel like we talked about seven million things, but the takeaway is this is why you keep going back. It's because your neurobiology is is thinking it's the right thing to do, and you need to like shock it back to life and and start doing otherwise. And the way to stop is by two things. I think like, you know, we talk a lot about, we're obsessed with making commitments to other people and we almost never talk about the commitments we're going to make to ourselves. And I think mm-hmm. like making a commitment to yourself that you deserve a better path and a separation from this person and a different kind of relationship. And what does that mean? Right. Right. So then you're going to, and then make commitments that feel possible. I'm not going to talk to them for a week. I'm not going to go back for a month and then I'll check back in. And if I still want to, then I'll reevaluate. Right. So make some, make a set of commitments to yourself and hold yourself to them as best you can. And then, um, while in that time, time, space of time or whatever, um, connect with yourself, ask yourself at every hour of every day, what do you like? What do you want? What kinds of things are you interested in? And that can be anything like, Mm -hmm. 
it doesn't have to all be about like work and self-help. It can be like, you know what? I've always wanted to learn to surf. Okay. Let's start researching that. What kinds of surfboards are made? How do you get one? Where's the best place to go? What is it caught? Like every time you go into that brain space of connecting with yourself, even if you never go surfing, you are reestablishing those neural connections that you need to make better decisions going forward, which is super cool, you know? And also maybe reaching out to people who know you too. Yeah. Kind of, you know, when you have that uncertainty about maybe who you are because you've been, you know, crushed, your spirit's been crushed, reach out to people to remind you of who you are. Totally. And what you like to do and what makes you happy. Cause yeah. it's, it's easy to lose that, you know, mm-hmm. but the commitment to yourself is important. Like I, I remember being in a bad relationship a long time ago and telling myself, you know, very, you know, kind of a similar situation. I kept going back, kept going back, was putting up with all kinds of horrible behavior, you know, and everyone in my life was saying like, why the hell are you doing this? This is ridiculous. And then you isolate yourself because you don't want that kind of feedback. And, you know, it becomes this just awful, awful cycle. But I remember telling myself, okay, if this, if this third thing happens, (laughs) you know, I'm done. Like I have to be done and making that commitment to myself Mm -hmm. and listen, not feeling it, not right. wanting to do it, right. not, you know, I wasn't wholeheartedly behind that commitment, right? but something made me do it. And when that third thing inevitably happened, I got out of it yeah. and you get out of something one day at a time, yep. you know, one, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. Yeah. And then you start to get back to, um, a better place, I think. Totally. Yeah. But even when you're not feeling it, just try and do what you can. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Totally. It's such a, like, again, I think there's like an interesting parallel because we like, we're letting our emotions drive the car. They get to be in the car, but they, they don't get the keys, you know, like, yeah, they like how you feel is not the only thing that matters. You know, right. you, you can feel like, oh man, this is hard and do it anyway. And you can feel like, Oh God, I don't know if I can do this and then show yourself that you can. And that's super empowering, you know? Well, you start to build on that, you know? Right. On that feeling like, okay, I, I, I did this. I'm, I'm proud of myself right. that I was able to do this, you know? And just because you feel like you don't want to, doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Exactly. You behave as if you just, you just right. do it until you can right. feel better about it. And you because get you glimpses. will totally. Cause you get glimpses along the way. And I'm sure she has, cause it sounds like there've been some moments of separation, like of like, oh, okay. Like this is what it's like to forget about this and to like be myself and to laugh and connect with my friends or do this thing I'm interested in or whatever, you know? Right. And then every time, the more of those you get, the more they build and you're like, hold on. I actually don't need you. I don't need this. This is not who I right. am, you know? And I was also thinking like, what, you know, what would you tell your dearest friend to do? Like, what, what would you hope for them? If you can't think of it for yourself, like make yourself a a separate person. Like what, what would you, how would you put your arm around this person and say, this is what I, I hope that you can do that. These are the next steps that I hope you can take. What would you wish for your sister or your dearest friend or an important person in your life Yeah, and make that person yourself, if that makes any sense. Oh, totally. Treat it like an outer body situation. Yeah. 
Because if you can't out of body. Out of. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like that sometimes you can't reach for self-compassion, but you can imagine compassion for somebody else. Right. And so then you can, if you can do that, then you can move inward to self-compassion. The commitment to self thing is really important. I also think like as friends and in society, we need to be better about supporting each other kindly because I think a lot of people become isolated. Like I was thinking about this in the situation that you described. I think a lot of people are like, I don't want to be friends. They give you ultimatums, right? You're in the wrong relationship. I've decided this from the outside and I won't speak to you until you're out of it. Mm -hmm. We need to stop that because it's not helpful. The thing to do with the person is to say, hey, here's what I see. Are you seeing this? Like I support you, whatever you're going to do, but I can't like let this go. Here's what I see. This person is critical of you. This person is whatever. Like, do you see this? I need to make sure that you see this. Right. I support you, but I want to make sure you see this because then you don't cut the person off from their support system, which is what they need in that moment. And even if you think as the friend or the person on the outside that you're not being heard, you were being heard because that little voice like sticks in the other person's head and they, they replay that over and over again. And it comes in, you're like in the shower at night in bed and that little voice comes in and it's like, are you seeing this? Right. I I don't want to, but yes. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, and I think like, as you said, like the, the, the road out is one day at a time and one minute at a time, one hour at a time, like be kind to yourself. It's hard. It is hard. You love this person. It's hard to reconcile that ideal version you had of them with the other terrible reality. Yeah. But you will, that one minute, that one hour, that one day that you continue to commit to yourself will feel good. I promise. Yeah. There's a lot on the other side. She said that she was, you know, she was in a good place before this happened. You can get back to that good place. Yeah. I know it seems impossible too. It's amazing how, how distant we get from ourselves, you know, like it's kind of like, oh fast. God. Yeah. But it's when you recover yourself, you're like, oh damn, this was here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm still here. <laughs> right. Shit. Good luck. Letter writer. Yeah. We got you. <laughs> I also just want to say like one more thing. I like when we talk about these other people that, you know, that sometimes we call narcissists or, you know, I I don't believe because I can't believe that these are Disney villains, you know, in the corner plotting and planning like who their next victim is going to be. I I believe that would be a lot easier. Right. But that these people are also um, broken on some level and are acting out of pain or, you know, I, 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 I can't believe that they're just wait, lying and wait for the next yeah. innocent soul to come across. And it's an interesting, path. like, it's an interesting balance. Cause I think like, I, I tend to see as my therapist says, she's like, the gray serves you really well until it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I can, I can find all sorts of empathy for folks who are hurting in that way and acting out of that. Cause I see it like instantly. Like, oh, you're not, you're not mean. You're doing this because you're in pain. And I, even when you're talking, you know, when you're reading through that letter, like, I'm like, oh my God, what a terrible feeling he must've had. Like she's off with all these guys and the service. I, I just imagine her being like a bartender or something like that. Like all these like good looking men. And like, he's at home and like, oh God, that's scary. I can understand why you get controlling. And like, and if you have pain and insecurity on top of that, it's going to just make you feel like everything's out of control. And then you act in this, like, I, and then I go off and running into too much sympathy for that 
person, but you're totally right. It would be a lot easier if these were Disney villains, because then we could write them off. Right. The problem is that everybody is more complicated than that label. Even if you've got a diagnosis from a professional of narcissistic personality disorder, that's still complicated because it doesn't come from nowhere, you know? No, it doesn't come from nowhere. And, you know, when you, if you find yourself in a relationship with a person like that, who is willing to do the work and figure out why they behave the way they behave and are committed to, you know, accountability and doing something different and, you know, not all the time because nobody's perfect, but I mean, there's a lot that that needs to go into that in order to sign up for a relationship with someone who's displaying these behaviors. But it can be worked with hundred percent. Yeah. It's just, it's good. Yeah. It requires responsibility taking. Yep. And it sounds like this person is in manipulation and not responsibility taking mode. Yeah. And some people stay there forever. A lot of people do. Oh man. I hope that was helpful. Yeah, me too. I think so. Okay. You're not alone letter writer. This is a very common, I mean, oh my God, very common thing. Yep. Anyway. Write us back. Keep us posted. It's interesting, like seeing these letters, because usually I'm talking to clients who I then like see, you know, for a while. Yeah. Or who at least like check back in. But it's like we get these letters and then I'm just like, but how did it go? What's happening? (laughs) Where are you? (laughs) So if you ever are interested in writing back and keeping us posted, please do. It also helps other people see what it's like from another point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not just in the trauma, but in the after. Do you have a tiny little joy? I do. I, um, before, uh, we spoke today, I met a couple friends, um, for just a quick little coffee and kind of walk around the city. And, you know, I've seen these people, um, we were trying to figure out like twice since the pandemic started. Um, so this is the third time and it's just the, the connection and, and, um, being out in the world and checking in and, you know, very simple things, uh, you know, nothing deep, nothing, high level, but, um, I didn't realize how much I had, mm-hmm. I was missing that, you know, yeah. as a result of, of the world that we're in right now. Yeah. And also it's my tendency to kind of, um, shut down and isolate, you know, so this is something I need to work on anyway, yeah. staying connected to people, but the pandemic has, um, made it more difficult than normal for me. And just the, the joy of, just having a chat and walking around and being out in the world. And, you know, instead of my pod was um, joyful. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with my pod, but, you know. No, but the energetic exchange of like different ideas going and different personalities. Totally. Yeah. It was just like a emotional, like check-in. It was good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yay. Yay. (laughs) What about you? Um, well, so I'm trying to think about how mine is not small. It's huge, but I don't want to share too much details because this has to do with someone's story, but I will suffice to say this. I focus and have for a very long time on like writing our conception of trauma and how it affects the brain and how to understand our behavior when we're traumatized. And this morning I had, I got to be a part of something where I saw the direct impact of that kind of education change the course of an event. Okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yes. Like the, 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 knowledge. that kind of understanding and communication. Yes. Okay. The, the knowledge and the, the like education and, and the knowledge like changed something. It, it, it had a direct impact. 
That's awesome. I know that. Yeah. That makes the whole thing worthwhile agonizing work and yeah. excavation and well, everything and the, that's involved. Yeah. And then not knowing if like, you know, there's so much noise out there. And so it's like, are you making any impact? Like, right. Are you making any impact? Is this, is any, and you know, coming from the world of, of academia in which you are, you are doomed to never make an impact <laughs> because you're locked in a tower and made to jump through flaming hoops for no reason. Um, <laughs> to see that the, the direct effect of your research on the world is like, like crazy in a very tangible way. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it's rare, but it's like, when it happens, you're like, okay, cool. That now I have energy stores for the next 10 years, you know? Right. Right. That's all I need. It's just one impact on one person's trajectory. That's it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It's super cool. It is super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. So yeah, that feels like a big joy. That's why I said it's not. Yeah. It's, it's like a, a big little joy. This stuff is important, you know, just, to, just the teaching, the understanding, the, the, yeah, it is important talking about it, putting it out there. Yeah. Just so we can all have more knowledge about like why, you know, why this stuff happens and what it does to us. Good for you. Okay. I think that's it. Um, we need more letters. We, again, I think we've said this a couple of times. We want to do a, um, a Q and a episode in, so we'll do one more real one and then a Q and a episode. So if you have questions for us, email us at the trauma tapes at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and send us a DM and we will answer your question. And if you have a story um, email it to us at the trauma tapes at gmail.com. And I think that's it. Do we have any other administrative things? Nope. You covered it. Okay, cool. Okay. Thank you for listening. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training, and it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.